Throughout his whole life, Dr. Samuel Johnson was legitimately terrified of death. He was constantly thinking and worrying and fearing his own death. He tells James Boswell at one point that not a moment goes by where he isn't completely terrified of death. And so one of the most amazing things about this book is that it's, it's so suffused with death. Death hangs like a cloud over almost every page. And Boswell loves to push Johnson on these issues. He loves to bring up these topics with Johnson. He loves to ask John Johnson about suicide, and he loves to ask Johnson about his thoughts on the afterlife and whether or not friends are going to be reunited in the afterlife. And sometimes Johnson is willing to talk about these topics, but other times you get the sense it's just too painful for him. And he tells Boswell, enough, I, I refuse to talk about this anymore. Boswell loved to push Johnson on whether or not a person can be reconciled to their own death, at peace, at the moment of death. And Boswell will cite examples of philosophers uh, and intellectuals who died in peace and died happy, and Johnson refuses to believe it. He says that anyone uh, that, like that that Boswell's describing was just too ashamed to admit that they were afraid. It was just pure hubris, but in reality, of course, they were terrified by death. And so, in a very palpable way, the book, James Boswell's The Life of Samuel Johnson, is just building to a dramatic crescendo. We know we're on this trajectory down the road, approaching steadily Samuel Johnson's death. And at the top of every page, the uh, atet number, meaning at the age of, and we go through page by page from his 60s to eventually the year seven, his age 75 when he finally dies and the book ends. As we've seen before in this series of videos, there are many revelations that Boswell makes that would have been extremely uncomfortable for Samuel Johnson to hear. And they seem to show a certain amount of indiscretion, perhaps on Boswell's part, the frankness and the openness with which he's willing to talk about the more negative aspects of Samuel Johnson. But the most dramatic example of that, the most extreme example of that, the, the section of this book that would no doubt have given Samuel Johnson the most pain is the following. At the very end, there's this huge reveal, this huge revelation where Boswell says, He's talking about Johnson's fear of death. And he says, quote, to avoid injurious suspicions, as if there had been something of more than ordinary criminality weighing upon his conscience, as well as from the regard to truth, which he inculcated, I am to mention, with all possible respect and delicacy, however, that his conduct after he came to London and had associated with Savage and others was not so strictly virtuous. It was well known that his amorous inclinations were uncommonly strong and impetuous. He owned to many of his friends that he, that he used to take women of the town to taverns and hear them relate their history 
In short, it must not be concealed that like many other good and pious men, Johnson was not free from propensities which were ever warring against the law of his mind and that in his combats with them, he was sometimes overcome." End quote. And so that is a brutal revelation that Johnson had some sexual improprieties, which of course makes Johnson a, a real kind of hypocrite because so much of his writing is about the absolute urgency and the necessity of living a virtuous life, which is of course inimical to what privately, secretly Johnson was practicing. And so this revelation offers sort of a key to the book because we know throughout the whole book there's this darkness that seems to be repressed, something deep in the heart of Samuel Johnson and we don't have access to it. But Boswell is telling us that there is this darkness, there's this secret that Johnson was not so virtuous. He did things that he abhorred, morally speaking. Jumping much earlier in the book, this is now Johnson at the age of 68, closer to the middle of the book. Boswell gives us an example of one of Johnson's journal entries. So, quote, It appears from his prayers and meditations that Johnson suffered much from a state of mind unsettled and perplexed, and from that constitutional gloom which, together with his extreme humility and anxiety with regard to his religious state, made him contemplate himself through too dark and unfavorable a medium. It may be said of him that he saw God in clouds. Now this is quoting the journal of Dr. Johnson. When I survey my past life, I discover nothing but a barren waste of time with some disorders of body and disturbances of the mind very near to madness, which I hope he that made me will suffer to extenuate many faults and excuse many deficiencies." End quote. And so that's sort of the darkness which is hovering throughout the book and Boswell at the end sort of gives us a key to that which is only revealed to the reader at the very very end. There's one really dramatic exchange between Johnson and some dinner guests on this topic, on this topic of fear of death. This is from Dr. Johnson's last year of life, age 75. Quote, Dr. Johnson surprised him, him is the host, where they're eating, not a little, by acknowledging with a look of horror that he was much oppressed by the fear of death. The amiable Dr. Adams suggested that God was infinitely good, Johnson, that he is infinitely good as far as the perfection of his nature will allow, I certainly believe, but it is necessary for good upon the whole that individuals should be punished. As to an individual, therefore, he is not infinitely good, and as I cannot be sure that I have fulfilled the conditions on which salvation is granted, I am afraid that I may be one of those who shall be damned. Parentheses, looking dismally. Dr. Adams, what do you mean by damned? And then Johnson, passionately and loudly. And it's easy to, at this point, imagine the passionate and loud Dr. Johnson shouting at the dinner table. Sent to hell, sir, and punished everlastingly. End quote. 
And so that's the context. That's how Boswell sets the stage. As we now, in the last section of the book, trace Johnson on this path towards death. And the way Boswell does it is almost exclusively through Johnson's letters, Johnson's correspondences, and we get to see this image, these snapshots of the ailing Johnson struggling with his mortality, struggling with his fear. And for me, this is a very affecting part of the book because at this point we know Johnson so well and there's so much I feel like we're able to understand about his state of mind through these letters. And so some examples here, letters towards the end of his life to this one Dr. Bernie, quote, the weather, you know, has not been balmy. I am now reduced to think, am at least content to talk of the weather. So I'll interject here that there's a lot of significance to this because throughout his life, Johnson is someone who would have disdained to talk about the weather as being such an insignificant uh, conversation topic. But he's saying that he continues, continuing in the letter now, quote, pride must have a fall, that, it, he, that he's reduced to this state where he is going to comment in a letter about the weather. He continues, I have lost dear Mr. Allen, and wherever I turn the dead or the dying meet my notice and force my attention upon misery and mortality. He says, I struggle hard for life. I take physic and take air. We have run this morning 24 miles and could run 48 more, but who can run the race with death? End quote. Another letter, just a few pages later. Quote, on which side soever I turn, mortality presents its formidable frown. I left three old friends at Litchfield when I was last there and now found them all dead. I no sooner lose sight of dear Allen than I am told that I shall see him no more. That we must all die, we always knew. I wish I had sooner remembered it. Do not think me intrusive or, or importunate if I now call, dear sir, on you to remember it. End quote. And so that's it. In the remaining pages, Boswell takes us to the very end. Although Boswell isn't there in person, he gets us firsthand testimonies about Johnson's final moments when the people who watched him, observed his cessation of breathing, his funeral that was well attended, the eulogies. Boswell gives some sort of his own kind of eulogy and summation of Dr. Johnson's life. And that's it. And in that way, the book offers us more than any other book that I, can, that I know, that trajectory that arc, that short, short, fleeting flash of a human life from childhood to death. And the hope, the aspiration is that by walking that path in the world of a book through the mind and voice of a Boswell or a Johnson is that we're just a little bit more prepared, a little bit more aware, like Johnson admonishes us 
who think about death, our own death, and the significance of that death a little bit more and use that information to live better and prepare ourselves better. So with that, that's my last installment on the series of James Boswell's The Life of Samuel Johnson. It was very rewarding to revisit this book. And at this particular point in my YouTube video making experiences, I, I find the most satisfying kind of videos to be the sort of installments on a book, on a big book, on a book that's meaningful to me, where I just sort of maybe pick a theme or an episode and make a video about it. And so uh, for next month, for the month of August, my goal is to do something similar that I did for James Boswell's Life of Samuel Johnson with Herman Melville's Moby Dick. Recently got this version. And yeah, I, uh, you're invited to join me. Of course, um, if you don't want to join me, that's totally fine. Um, so I hope to spend just the month, that one month. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know the pace at which I'm going to do it. I don't know the frequency I'm going to do it. I'm going to play all that by ear and see what happens. And what will be after that, I have no idea. But that's it. Thanks for watching.